it's interesting you said I have no feelings because they don't know what they're feeling. They can't mm-hmm. they can't reason or recognize mm-hmm. or understand, you know, why are they getting angry and what's making them so confused and mm-hmm. yeah, they do have feelings, they just don't know what they are and they can't mm-hmm. seem to navigate through the emotional web. Mm-hmm. So it looks yeah. like they have no feelings. Yeah. Healing Broken Trust with Brad and Morgan Robinson. This is episode seven. In this episode, we talk about how to stop fighting or avoiding and get answers, and it's part two to the negative cycles uh, episode that we did at episode three. And I want to remind you to go to healingbrokentrust.com forward slash episode seven to download free resources to help you through this process. Uh, that's healingbrokentrust.com forward slash episode, the number seven, seven. Um, and download those free resources. It's really going to help you through this process. Um, but we want to give you some context before we get started um, to kind of remind you of what we're talking about here. Brad, do you want to give them some context? Yeah, we're continuing our earlier podcasts that we had from, from episode three on negative cycles and how to stop fighting or avoiding getting answers, being able to really heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we talk about in here is burnt out uh, pursuers, and this can explain why people have an exit affair mm-hmm. when they decide to be done with the marriage and they have an affair, and then that person pulls them out of the marriage. And so that's something we talk about that we're going to get to uh, exit affairs, but we discuss that just briefly in this. So you'll want to hear about that. Yeah, because we do talk about the types of affairs, 10 types. There's 10 types of affairs that we talk about um, in a later episode. Um, And we'll we'll get into that, I think, just later later on. Much later. later Yeah. Um, But that's that's something really good to to listen to. So definitely download episode three for the the first part of negative cycles and how to stop fighting and avoiding and all of those good things. Um, but also, um, you know, we had also talked about limerence, and that could be very, very useful if you're, you know, stuck in a cycle. Um, you might even want to know about particularly, really, particularly when somebody is wanting to leave a marriage, yeah, and they they uh, may or may not be in love with the affair partner. Right, right, and we talked about that in episode two, and then again in episode four. So definitely check those out. Go back through. Um, download those because it can be really, really helpful to this process. All right, let's get going. Five types of negative cycles. I only want to focus on three of these. One's a complex cycle that usually involves someone who's survived some sort of trauma. Uh, And then the other cycle is when one person gets burned out. Usually the one that's been pushing for things gets burned out. And so I'll explain that in a second. The three most basic types are the pursuer-distancer cycle. Distancing is commonly known as withdrawing. And so this is the most common cycle where you have a demanding spouse interacting with a withdrawing or distancing partner. And that pattern, the distancing or stonewalling position is a shut down, non-responsive spouse. And when they experience that, there's often a feeling of panic or aggression or anger where they 
the pursuer says, I'm going to make you respond to me. Mm. That's what the pursuers really want is they want to get a response. And sometimes when they don't get it, they force it. Mm -hmm. They want closeness and to feel important and needed. Yeah, and that's the underlying feeling that that mm-hmm. pursuer is really wanting. They're wanting yeah. to be close, but it comes out as maybe nagging or mm-hmm. demanding. But they're truly, ultimately underneath, wanting to know that their, their spouse cares about them. Yeah, they're trying to maintain contact with their spouse. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when they don't have that, that's when they become the most... Demanding. Yeah, you could. Yeah, demanding, uh, maybe even feeling insecure. Mm-hmm. Or when they feel distressed. That's when they be, they need their spouse the most. And that's a natural response to being Yeah, uh, that's a withdrawn. natural response. It's, you need somebody mm-hmm. very important to you. Right. So you have a person who's pursuing, mm-hmm. and many times they forcefully try to get what they want. And then you have someone who's more of a withdrawer. They're kind of a distancer. They natu- naturally withdraw. They naturally distance themselves. They, they naturally shut down. Shut down. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Typically, it'll be a male who's the withdrawer. Not always. And it's a female that's more the pursuer. That's what you see. And then you also see the second type of negative cycles that's common where the withdrawer feels like they have their back against the wall and they'll start fighting the pursuer. They feel like they're being pushed and so they're going to push back. And that's not their normal cycle, but that's what happens is you have an attack-attack situation where they fight each other. Mm -hmm. And then you have a withdraw-withdraw situation where both people are, maybe they started out, as a pursue withdraw cycle, one person is wanting and pursuing and needing, uh, and the other is kind of more withdrawn and naturally uh, gets defensive. That cycle goes on for some time, and then the person who's the pursuer starts to get burned out, okay. and they start to kind of care less. And they start to give up. Kind of getting tired. Of and they, yeah, they start the getting cycle. tired. You, when you have a withdraw withdraw situation, the key thing to understand is that both people are hesitant to engage emotionally with each other. And in the face of conflict, both will further withdraw. And that might look like their basic pattern, but really there's a pursue-withdraw pattern that underlies it. And occasionally, you know, people are withdraw-withdraw from each other because they don't like arguing or fighting. They genuinely don't like conflict, but generally couples are in that situation because it, their marriage could be on its last leg mm. in that kind of situation. They're getting tired. And- yeah, they're getting tired. You know, we talked about the other two cycles in the you know the fourth and fifth cycle there's a complex cycle there's anxiety and avoidance you know it's it's complicated because they are trying to um, quite honestly connect but sometimes when you're a trauma survivor and you've experienced a lot of hurt it makes it very difficult and it makes it very difficult for the person who's the non-traumatized spouse to understand what's going on and what's really needed mm-hmm. and so that becomes uh, complicated and just because it's complicated doesn't mean that you can't work through it. I mean, you, you can. You just have to get the right help. And then there's the uh, reactive pursue-withdraw cycle. This is where you have the person who is a pursuer, and they give up. They're past the withdraw-withdraw stage, and then they, they move on to this next cycle, is the pursuer just finally gets burned out and gives up completely. And then you see the original withdrawer become the pursuer, to try to save their marriage. Uh-huh. And so we see a lot of men and women who try to save their marriage, but they it's, were uh, the withdrawer originally. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, they've stopped pursuing me. What's going on? Yeah. And so that's what happens. You know, it's it's easier to make sense out of pursuing. You know, people can understand that better, why they're getting blamed or why they blame or criticize, demand. They can understand their behavior better, but they don't many times understand the behavior of a distancer. Mm-hmm. And they think there's something wrong with them. They just come to these unfortunate conclusions 
Mm-hmm. And some of the wrong conclusions they come to could be something's wrong with them. Maybe they have a disorder. You know, something's wrong with them. Because they're shut down. Because they shut down. They don't open up emotionally. And they can also come to a wrong conclusion about themselves. I'm a bad guy. I'm some sort of monster. I must be this horrible person because you don't want to open up with me. And I'm demanding. I must be just just very uh, pushy and horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really becomes unfortunate. And so part of getting familiar with withdrawing with is really understanding that in times of relationship distress, uh, the person who withdraws, they look for ways to exit that distress. Mm-hmm. And so they develop these self-protective coping responses that include a number of strategies to turn off the alarms. They feel this distress, and so they're looking for ways to turn off that distress. Mm-hmm. And so some of those alarms that they feel could be anger, fear, shame. And they, again, they experience that when they feel distress. So if an argument heats up, the more withdrawing partner is more likely to move away from the conflict or in some way to try to shut down the emotions happening in the moment. Because it's very uncomfortable. And yeah, it's yeah. Very, yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And so what they do is, and in their mind, it makes perfect sense. They're going to move away from that conflict. And in some way, they're going to try to shut down those emotions happening in the moment. So if if you're using withdrawing as a way of coping, your approach to distress tends to be more independent and self-reliant yeah. and you tend to turn away from your partner in times of distress and prefer to manage your emotions on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so there's that a, happens. not a lot of communicating yeah. going on. Yeah. And, and these are people who like to be self-reliant. They don't like opening up emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so you see that a lot, Morgan. Part of what withdrawal Involves is cognitive and emotional distance. Hmm. Uh, and so what you see is a withdrawing partner, they respond to emotional situations with logic and reason. Right. They'll try to, you know, let's fix this, let's problem solve this. And that's what cognitive essentially means, is mm-hmm. going up into your head and trying to decide mm-hmm. logically and reasonably what to do next. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of emotional there. Yeah. Uh, and so it's assumed that being more rational or even neutral is necessary to solve problems. So these withdrawing partners, they try to remain emotionally detached from a distressing situation. And I think that's done a lot because people feel like emotions are unpredictable. Emotions mm-hmm. are, they if they show their emotions, they're being vulnerable and they're yeah. weak. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a sign of weakness. Typically we see that in males more often, but you're also going to see it in individuals who, who have a job where they can't get emotionally involved. Uh. Uh, someone who works in an emergency room, someone who has to think quick on their feet and can't get their emotions involved in their job. They're not always able to process it emotionally. They have Mm -hmm. to stay logical because their life and the person's life depends on it. Yeah, you know, and that suits them fine with their job. It's going to help them do a fantastic job with their work. Mm -hmm. But it may make it harder for them to be vulnerable in their marriage Mm -hmm. because they're going to be wearing two hats at work, eight hours a day. They've got this hat on of... Don't carry your emotions in here. You got to think on your feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get involved. And then at home, it's be emotionally involved. Right. You know, connect and care. And so, they, you know, it can be challenging for them. I believe it. And so, you know, there's different signs of emotional or cognitive withdrawal, uh, and they really include four things. Okay. And it's a strict reliance on on logic. There's a distrust of emotion. Hmm. There's a strict emphasis on being objective. And focus on facts, in the facts only, nothing else. Yeah, yeah, because emotion is, is subjective, right? And it's it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. It gets you in trouble. 
it can't be trusted because I might fly off the handle mm-hmm. and then where does that leave us in another argument? I, I mm-hmm. can imagine that a lot of people think about that as mm-hmm. they're deciding to be less emotional and more cognitive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens. So the process of withdrawing involves suppressing emotional thoughts and experiences. Uh, partners who withdraw, they tend to dampen and muffle their emotional responses, uh, particularly in times of distress, which would be maybe an argument. The process of shutting down other people's naturally occurring emotional responses can be quite demanding as well. Mm-hmm. It takes a toll on you both physically and emotionally when you're trying to shut that down. And we haven't talked about this before, but we have emotions for a reason. Yes. Nature has given us emotions, and emotions are a useful guide into acting quick and making decisions. Mm-hmm. And so when we shut out part of something that nature has given us, God has given us, when we shut that out, it really makes us there's a side effect to it yeah yeah what's interesting morgan is that there's research that's been done that links strategies for avoiding emotional distress with negative physical and psychological effects Mm -hmm. and so those strategies don't necessarily lead to resolution of the problems so as a result the ongoing distress may increase negative feelings towards the relationship including more hostility and greater likelihood of emotional detachment. So you can't always think logically about everything and solve every problem with, you know, reason. Mm-hmm. Emotion takes a special place in deciding mm-hmm. your romantic relationship and, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. So you've got to use that emotion. It's, mm-hmm. it's there for a reason. Yeah, you have, yeah, emotions, well, it's hard to be, be connected emotionally to someone mm-hmm. when you don't allow yourself to feel any emotions. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's hard to be vulnerable when you don't even let yourself... Uh, open up open up right you know take the risk mm-hmm. of being vulnerable and so that's typically what people who withdraw they do they, they rely on this emotion or non-emotion being so caught in their head with logic and objectivity and uh, they don't trust emotion that it makes it really hard to uh, get connected Partners who withdraw, they often rely on thought suppression as a primary means of creating emotional distance. So they're suppressing their thoughts so that they don't have to engage emotionally. Mm -hmm. And this can be an effective strategy in the short term, but over time, the suppressing of emotion can have a rebound effect. Uh, A withdrawing partner may become overwhelmed and respond with an outburst of anger or hostility uh, when he or she is no longer able to dampen those intensifying emotion. That's why you see your spouse get angry um, instead of sad. Mm -hmm. The effects of emotional suppression may also show up in other ways, including impulsive actions or binging behavior. Yeah, yeah, they bottle it up, Mm -hmm. and then it comes out. They bottle up all their anger. Mm -hmm. They don't release any of it, and then they just explode with it. Yeah. And that can happen with uh, withdrawers. Absolutely. And one of the key things to understand about withdrawers is when when withdrawers turn inward and they shut down emotionally, they become less aware of their own needs and the impact they're having on their spouse. Yes. And so they're they're not really in touch with their emotions. Mm-hmm. And so honestly, in many ways, they're out of touch with what they need and what their spouse needs. Yeah. So the partner says, why don't you talk to me? And they're like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not talking to you. I don't understand what I need. You know what? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard for them yeah, to it's ask very hard. for it. And so managing emotions by withdrawing, that suppresses both negative and positive emotions. Mm, So they can't feel joy or sadness. No, they kind of feel numb. 
some ways, or they can. Not everybody, but they can feel numb. So as a result, with drawing partners, they have less emotion to work with in their relationships. Hmm. So they, they're keeping their emotions at a distance. That reduces the resources they need to not only communicate, but also to connect at a romantic level. Ah, so emotion is a resource that helps you to communicate, yeah. and it helps you to connect with your spouse. Yeah, yeah. And a withdrawing partner, they may be able to manage their emotions in the moment, but over time, they become less and less in touch with what matters most in their relationship, and that's trust and closeness. And that vulnerability that you had talked about, mm-hmm. taking the risk of opening up so that you can mm-hmm. trust and feel close emotionally mm-hmm. to your spouse. Yeah, they're not they're just not good with emotion, and so because they're not good with their emotions and uh, they're not aware of what they're feeling, naturally they're going to distance themselves yeah. and withdraw. Yeah. You know, they don't understand it. It's confusing to them sometimes. Mm, so naturally sense. they're going to withdraw. So there's basically, there's a logic of withdrawal. Partners, mm-hmm. uh, partners who withdraw are often trying to keep the peace of a relationship by deactivating distress, which emotion is distressful yeah, to true. them through emotional and physical distance is, is what they use yeah. to deactivate that distress. Common responses may involve giving in or going along with their partner's complaints just to reduce the likelihood of a fight. So it's withdraw in a different way. Yeah, well, there. Yeah, and you see, you, you do see that, Morgan. You see people who just give in or they agree mm. because they don't want to have a fight. Yeah, you know, you see that. And so other forms of withdrawal uh, involve moving away from negative emotions through silence, logic or even physical distance. Mm-hmm. So though the actions of a withdrawing partner may seem uncaring or indifferent, withdrawal is ironically a coping response intended to minimize conflict and restore peace and well-being to the relationship. Yeah, Morgan, I'm really glad you said that because that's really key with uh, how pursuers see the withdrawer. Yeah, yeah. They see them as someone who's uncaring or indifferent mm-hmm. and really... They're just, like you said, they're trying to minimize conflict. They're trying to bring peace, restore well-being to their marriage and relationship. Balance. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to do that. They distance, they withdraw because they care, Mm -hmm. not because they don't care. And many times pursuers, they think, if they cared about me, they wouldn't leave me. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't withdraw. When I get upset, they would stay with me and try to work this out. But in their mind, they don't understand that. That That's too much emotion for them. And so they just disconnect they disconnect and it can become challenging morgan you brought up some good things about that some of the things that withdrawers may be thinking inside Mm -hmm. they think to themselves things like this if i could just calm down i could come closer so inside they have an emotional storm brewing they got things going on they don't understand so they distance because they're not really feeling calm and so if they could just calm down their reason i could come closer yeah i can work out what i'm feeling you know, then I can move towards you. Or even if their spouse could calm down, if their spouse, the pursuer, would calm down. Yeah, yes and no. Depends on the situation. Okay. You know, not even the couple, but more the situation they're in. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Another thing that they may be thinking inside when they withdraw is, I feel like I'm a failure as a partner. And that's something that's really important because pursuer, sometimes they feel like they're a failure. Ah. And so, you know, I feel like I'm a failure as a partner. So naturally they're going to withdraw when they feel like they're a failure. I'm a big letdown to you. Naturally, they're going to do that. And then when they say, then here's the other thing. They sometimes say, even when I take a step towards you, it's never enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear that a lot. 
and I'm always failing in your eyes. What I do is never good enough. I'm always failing in their eyes. When I do move towards them, it's never enough. You know, they experience uh, situations where they feel like, you know, I never get it right. I'm not what they want. I have no feelings. And sometimes they feel like I'd rather be left alone than feel this much pain. And they're hurting. And that's what pursuers don't realize is this person's in pain. They're hurting. The pursuer just sees them as they don't care about me. They're indifferent to me. That causes the pursuer to continue to push forward more. Until they get tired. Well, until they get burned out. Right. And they give up. And that yeah. can take a long time for that to happen, but and I think it's, it's very re- frustrating. I think it's interesting you said, I have no feelings, because they don't know what they're feeling. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't reason or recognize mm-hmm. or understand, you know, why are they getting angry and what's making them so confused. And mm-hmm. yeah, they do have feelings. They just don't know what they are and they can't mm-hmm. seem to navigate through the emotional web. Mm-hmm. So it looks yeah. like they have no feelings. Yeah. And Morgan, that's, um, you know, to go along with that partners who withdraw many times they've gotten the message to dismiss or avoid their emotions Mm. part of where they come up with this dismissing or avoiding their emotions sometimes that can come from parents who or even uh, teachers or a coach who told them to toughen up or be a man you know don't share these kinds of things or Mm. you know don't cry you know that kind of thing put your big girl pants on yeah yeah and so they're telling you not to feel mm-hmm. and so both of those are you know those kinds of things are indirect ways of saying don't show your feelings this person may withdraw not only when their partners are critical and angry but also when their partners seek to confide in them about intimacy and so that's interesting it's mm-hmm. not only when you're angry with me they're withdrawing whenever their partner the pursuer comes to them for closeness and intimacy and mm. so they feel anxious and they feel afraid And so that may be because they haven't learned how to navigate through their emotional world because they've been taught to suppress their emotions. They're afraid to address their emotions or feelings in the first place, not Mm -hmm. just fear or anxiety. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully this is helping some pursuers out there who don't understand their spouse and what's going on with them. Yeah. Sometimes there's a feeling, there's feelings of inadequacy or feeling like I'm not measuring up or if I let you in, you're not going to like me. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe even a little bit of shame, that kind of thing. But Morgan, something that's important is the cost of withdrawing is significant. Mm. Uh, withdrawing partners, they often feel criticized. They feel unworthy. Honestly, they may be uh, even aware of these withdrawing tendencies, and they feel you know maybe even they're criticized because of these protests. You know, the pursuer gets angry and they protest. But really, there's probably a strong sense of shame that could be there. Yeah, there can be, not necessarily always, but there can be. So there's loneliness that can result from keeping a distance and intimate relationships and that leaves a withdrawing partner feeling alone and ineffective Mm. and that just increases their feelings of i'm not enough i'm not good enough i'm failing in their eyes yeah Um, so the emotional causes of distress are not addressed by withdrawing they're only managed and the pain is still present and active yeah that's a good way to put it it's a perfect way to put it we have a few moments left i want to go over kind of the common actions of withdrawal there are signs of withdrawal that are often physical. You can spot withdrawal in a person's body posture even, mm-hmm. almost like an ostrich burying their head in the ground. Or a turtle. Yeah, or a turtle going into its shell. They pull into themselves to hide from the intensity of the moment. And so some of the behaviors that people recognize, uh, you may have seen, is people not listening, not responding, avoiding eye contact, crossing their legs, folding their arms, especially while avoiding eye contact, uh, turning the body away, Exiting the room and even exiting the location, just wow. getting up and leaving. 
And, you know, any combination of those signals can send the message to the pursuer, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I'm not available for you. I need some space. Now is not the time. And one of the things that can happen is, is partners can also withdraw when the conversation switches to discussions that involve vulnerable emotions, such as discussions about intimacy in the relationship. Uh, not necessarily just about sex, but about emotional closeness. Mm-hmm. And because they're not really good at uh, their own emotions, sometimes they leave to sort out what they're feeling and thinking. So the key is understanding that partners withdraw when they feel emotionally dis- when they feel emotional distress, emotionally overwhelmed, or simply emotionally unprepared for what's coming next. And it's not that they don't care. Typically, it's that they're afraid of the unknown, yeah. and so it comes across as you know, I need space. Now's not the time. Don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. But yeah. truly, they're trying to sort it out sort themselves. It out. Yeah, 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 and it and it, and that's part of the negative cycle. Mm-hmm. And something that we didn't talk about at the beginning of the show that it, that's worth repeating briefly is negative cycles are these rigid patterns of interaction. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you get caught in a negative cycle, it could be disagreeing or fighting. It's like you know what your spouse is going to say before they say it. Mm-hmm. And so the way you get out of that is really focusing on the underlying emotions that are there. How do we go from fighting and arguing or even from being quite withdrawn and walking on eggshells with each other to really bonding and connecting, sharing our hearts with each other so that an emotional bond develops? That's a really uh, great question, and that's a very common question. Mm -hmm. And Morgan, actually, that's an area that a lot of couples get stuck in in recovering from an affair. They get caught in negative cycles. Couples can go from fighting and arguing and at times being really distant Mm. and in a sense emotionally cold, even in the midst of fighting. And that's a different type of negative cycle. I may be giving our listeners a response to that that they haven't heard before, which is exciting for me to be discussing this, but it's also very revolutionary in a way. This is an area that psychology is moving towards. It's uh, based in effective affective neuroscience and that's really understanding our emotions and i'm going to get into a little bit of that later but really we we begin to de-escalate and get out of these negative cycles by sharing our primary emotion our core emotion and i'm going to try my best as we go along to explain all this because this may get a little technical Uh, you may be asking what is primary emotion primary emotion is core emotion it's emotion that is that is experienced by all humans Primary emotion is also felt somewhere in the body when it's experienced. Sometimes it's experienced as a sinking feeling in your stomach or heat in your hands. And other times it is a tightness in your chest. We've all had those moments. Primary emotions are our most vulnerable emotions and they're the toughest for us to share. But when we do share them, they bring out the most change in our relationships. And so here's a list of common primary emotions. There's really only six, but I'm going to go over the basic six, and I'm going to add kind of one just to help the description, make it easier to to explain it. Mm -hmm. So here's a list of common primary emotions. There's sadness slash despair, fear, anxiety, hurt. Then there's anger and rage, shame, disgust, joy, and elation, excitement, surprise, and curiosity. Uh, There are both positive and negative primary emotions. These feelings are considered primary because they're the first emotions we feel in response to situations. Negative primary emotions tend to make us feel bad about ourselves, such as when we're hurt or sad, 
or we're shameful or disgusted, positive primary emotion usually leads us to feeling good about ourselves, such as when we experience joy and surprise. Hmm. And so when a couple's relationship is in distress, the negative primary emotion is usually unspoken. We're not very good at sharing our shame uh, with ourselves after an affair or how embarrassed we feel or disgusted we feel that we've been betrayed. We're typically not very good at that. Sometimes if we do, we share it in a way that can be unproductive or unhealthy. So those emotions can largely go unnoticed. We're really afraid. We don't really share our fear many times. And it's important to share those feelings so that your spouse believes and feels that you care for them and mm-hmm. that you're important to them. And yeah, yeah. And, they, and, you know, that's a great point, Morgan, because they begin to see you differently. Mm-hmm. Sometimes long-held beliefs are changed when that happens. And we'll uh, talk more about that, I'm sure. Yeah. So when a couple's relationship is in distress, the negative primary emotions are very, very hard to speak, very hard to acknowledge. It'd be uh, hard to understand even. even. Yeah. yeah, and that's a very good point because when we get into a negative cycle, these emotions have action tendencies to them. So when we're sad, we, you know, we kind of become irritable. We become moody. Our spouse doesn't typically see us as sad. Sometimes we were angry. And our real emotion, our core emotion, those pr- that primary feeling that we have is sadness. And if we share that, that can be an impactful piece of changing how we talk about the affair, how we recover from the affair. And how your spouse relates to you, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. So these emotions can quickly go unnoticed or very largely be unnoticed. It's important that we start to notice these primary emotions. For example... If you suddenly realize that you forgot to do something that's very important, you may get kind of a, a sick feeling to your stomach. Mm-hmm. The sick feeling is your body's experience of primary emotion. And we've all had that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember being in high school. If I was tardy, I just knew what the teacher was going to say, you know, and how embarrassed I would feel. Or sitting in, uh, I was a horrible geometry student. I was great at algebra, but geometry I just didn't get. And I just felt really dumb sitting in geometry class. And I could feel just the embarrassment and the shame of not being very good at that. And the teacher that I had was very condescending. He was just his, this his personality. So, um, so made it very hard to ask for help oh. in that kind of situation. So it's hard to acknowledge that primary emotion and get help. To reach and that's out. what we do when we have these negative primary emotions we hide from them it's very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you know we're going to discuss how to begin to get out of those negative cycles we mm-hmm. experience after an affair and how to really tap into that primary emotion and mm-hmm. understand it mm-hmm. um, so a large part of this has to do with our emotions like you said mm-hmm. emotions inform how uh, how we are to respond to our mate after an affair uh, emotions set the stage for whether we will have a negative pattern or a relatively positive pattern emotions have actually action tendencies, like you said, that prompt us to give our mates certain responses. For example, when we feel shame, we tend to hide and withdraw. When we feel anger, we tend to assert ourselves or attack. Or when we're afraid, we tend to avoid or or try to escape. Yeah, that's a good way to put that, Morgan, the action tendencies. These emotions do have action tendencies that cause us to give our mates and our spouse certain responses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to kind of remind you, there's action tendencies here. So in an affair, if someone is quiet and withdrawn, that 
may not necessarily mean they don't care or love you. It may simply mean they're deeply ashamed and they feel unworthy of you. And they don't know what to do. And they don't know what to do. They feel very helpless. Those are very negative primary emotions and they feel horrible about themselves. Then there's also anger. Anger can be a primary emotion if it's meant to enforce boundaries, Mm -hmm. saying I've been violated. That can be a primary emotion that needs to be shared. Anger can be an unproductive expression of when it's more reactive anger, like defensiveness. Mm -hmm. That kind of anger, maybe even criticalness, can be an unhealthy anger. But if it's an anger of I'm really wounded and I'm really hurt, Right. That can be a healthy expression of anger. There needs to be distance because I, I need to make sure that I'm okay and mm-hmm. so I'm going to be a little angry. Yeah. Or we're angry because someone we love has been hurt. Yeah. That can be a, an experience of primary anger. That's important to know. So like you had said, hearing your spouse's primary emotion can, can change how you see them and that, mm-hmm. that's important because they're opening up. Yeah. And Morgan, exactly. Hearing our spouse's primary emotion does change how we see them. Often, many long-held perceptions and beliefs can be altered, and it can create pathways for new responses towards each other. That's worth repeating. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hearing our spouse's primary emotion can change how we see them. Often, many long-held perceptions and beliefs can be altered, and it can create new pathways for new responses towards each other. And I would say that's the pinnacle of what we're saying. That's that's the thing that we're trying to express as you are working out of the negative cycles. Mm -hmm. Expressing that primary emotion is going to change and change the way you see each other and break you out of that that negative cycle to start the healing process. Exactly. Because honestly, we're just taught not to share our emotions. Right. You know, it's a sign of maturity not to be emotional. It's something that as little kids were told, and we tell our little kids, uh, oftentimes as a society, you know, quit crying. Mm. I'll give you something to cry about. That's something uh, <laughs> I've heard people say to their kids, yeah. you know, and I remember I was told that before, you mm-hmm. know, by a sibling. You know, what do you do with that? You learn to bottle up your feelings and emotions. You learn that it's not okay to be honest about how you feel. Mm-hmm. And you that's know, just not healthy. Yeah. So these long-held beliefs and perceptions... They can be altered. They can be changed, allowing new pathways for responses towards each other. And for relating to each other. Yeah, because these negative cycles we get caught into, as we talked about before, rigid patterns of interaction. We get stuck in acting the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like we're on these this track and we can't get off. Mm. And so sharing this primary emotion breaks that track up and it allows a new track to develop, a positive track of interacting and relating to each other. And so that occurs when you hear someone's primary emotion. Let me give you an example. Uh, One wife I worked with, she was able to come to a place where she truly saw her husband as someone who was a wonderful man. Hmm. And she was able to see him as a wonderful man. And that took some work because it was only months before that she saw him as someone who was evil. That was her literal words. He is evil. After he disclosed he had nine affairs. Oh, wow. (laughs) uh, And some of these you know, dated back to when they were dating. But she saw his primary emotions. She saw his remorse, his shame, uh, his hurt for her, how he felt devastated for her, and his resolve to be someone she could truly trust again. And she knew that the man that did this wasn't the man that's here today. Mm-hmm. This is a man that really felt horrible about what happened. And seeing that primary emotion, like, and we've talked about that before, when we talked about forgiveness and letting that person in. 
that may be worth refreshing yourself and going back and listening to that. Now, after an affair has been made known, both spouses who are dealing with an affair will be feeling a lot of different feelings. Those feelings and the action tendencies that go with them will cause a couple to get stuck in that circular pattern of negativity, that negative cycle that eventually causes them to feel lost and hopeless. That's what happens when we get stuck as we begin to feel lost and hopeless. And those negative feelings that are there, they have action tendencies that cause us to want to protect ourselves and protect our spouse, protect the marriage. And many times we're doing things because we don't want to lose our partner. We don't want to lose our spouse. And that's something that, quite honestly, when someone's, I hate to say it like this, but sometimes when people are who had an affair, one of the reasons they're unwilling to discuss it is they realize they don't want to lose their spouse anymore. Mm-hmm. They had a chance to be with somebody else. They realized the grass isn't greener. And now they don't want to do any more to screw it up. And they don't want to talk too much because they don't want to push their spouse over the fence. They wonder how much is too much. And right. they're really trying to protect themselves from losing their spouse because they realize they don't want to lose them. Yeah. And so... And it's actually counterproductive. They feel like it could be counterproductive to, to talk about it. That's how they see it. Yeah. I really like this point here that, that you're making, you know, because they are relating to each other in a new way, in a, in a way that uh, doesn't make either person in this scenario, mm-hmm. either partner, closed off or, you know, when they're open and yeah. they're now sharing their emotions. Yeah, they're not feeling... There's uh, a safety there and yeah. security, which Yeah, you're so exactly true. right. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like I was talking about earlier, hearing your spouse's primary emotions change how you see them. Mm-hmm even long-held perceptions and beliefs about them, it's altered and it creates new pathways and new responses. So we're getting out of that negative cycle. You're communicating, you're sharing. What you're sharing that's different is, you know, there's primary emotions. Those are the core emotions, but there's other types of emotions. And that's secondary emotions. And those secondary emotions tend to be things, it tends to be how we express those emotions. Those primary emotions. Those primary emotions when we have a filter on them. And for example, that could be we're really hurting and we're really maybe sad inside. And somebody asks us what's wrong and we say nothing. But it's clear to everybody in the office or to our family that something's wrong. That you're maybe angry instead of... Yeah, you're short-tempered, short-tempered. you're angry... You know, that's, that's kind of a common response. You're, uh, you're defensive, you're irritable, you're moody. That can happen when we're afraid. Those tend to be off-putting emotions. They tend to push people away from us. Mm-hmm. But when we talk from a heartfelt place about our primary emotion and share our sadness, fear, shame, hurt, that tends to attract our spouse towards us. And I think it's worth noting that whenever you understand the primary emotion and you can start to see your spouse as as expressing that primary emotion and you recognize what's happening, to allow those primary emotions to be available and, and to not swipe at them or that safety and security, like we had mentioned earlier, uh, safety and security, you need to feel like you can be safe to share those primary emotions, mm-hmm. right, Brad? And so yeah. you want, when you recognize that from your spouse, allowing them to express that so that there's safety there so that they would continue. So you can both continue yeah. to, to express those primary emotions and create a safe environment so that you can begin to heal and connect on a different level. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. I want to give our listeners an example of uh, 
how you can relate in a way that makes your spouse feel safe and secure. Bill and Janet, they're struggling with his affair. Whenever Bill goes out to play golf, she feels like she isn't a priority to him. She doesn't say anything until he gets back and then unloads on him, saying in a nasty, critical tone, you don't care about me. Why would you leave me here by myself while you go have fun? Bill's response is to feel inadequate, to help his wife feel better, he got her permission to spend a few hours on the golf course and even made plans to have a romantic evening with her the night before. As Bill is feeling inadequate, he gives Janet the impression he doesn't care. Now his action tendency when he feels inadequate is to become silent and withdrawn. He is quietly criticizing himself for letting her down. She doesn't see that he is feeling disappointed in himself and feels like a failure for causing her to feel uncared for because she doesn't know what he is feeling about her and where she stands with him, she sinks further into her despair and sadness. She is showing him this sadness by being accusatory and not by really being vulnerable with him and discussing her fears with him. That's kind of an example of a negative cycle. She's holding this in, becoming accusatory. What they could have done is Janet could have, instead of having a nasty critical tone, she could have said, Bill, I'm really scared. This scares me. I just need a lot of reassurance right now. I'm really hurting and I feel like I need you to be here because I don't know really how much you care about me. I know we went on a date last night. I know you got my permission, but I'm still uh, very anxious and still feeling very vulnerable. And if she had come at Bill differently, Bill may have had a different response where he could have been more supportive and he wouldn't have sunk into his own shame and his own sadness and his own despair. And likewise, I mean, he could have told her that... Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, they both could have done things differently. Right, right. You know, and he could have... And if she did come at him in a critical tone, he could have said, you know, I'm really... I really feel ashamed of myself. I really feel hearing what you're saying right now really hurts me, and I feel like I'm really failing you. Yeah, I, I hurt that you hurt. Yeah, and they see that, and they both could have done things differently. That would help them out. And really what separates those two scenarios or those two different examples I gave is, you know, in the, in the scenario I just gave about where they're talking heart to heart, they're talking from a place of vulnerability and a place that comes from their primary emotions. Sharing that primary emotion empowers a partner to bring new understanding to why their mate acts a certain way. Yeah, and sometimes that takes a little time to understand for yourself. And so you might have to, in the beginning, you might have to take a little time uh, just to think through what are you feeling? Mm -hmm. You know, what is going on for you? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it's not, it's not natural. I mean, nobody, most of the time, nobody's taught how to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's totally counter-cultural in, in a lot of ways. So mm -hmm. you may not know right away. You might have to take a few minutes just to think through what's, what's really happening for you and for Ex your spouse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Morgan, uh, we're almost at the end of, the, of our time today, and I just want to finish this. Okay. Sharing primary emotion empowers us to process the experience and the underlying emotions that may be outside of our perception or of our awareness of ourselves and even our spouses. And so, for example, for Janet to focus on the sadness she feels when she withdraws, she realizes she's becoming moody and irritable, which serves only to push Bill away. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes getting in touch with our emotions, it helps us become aware of maybe even decisions or choices we need to make. And I'll give uh, our listeners an example. My father's been sick recently and he was going to stay with us. So we quickly made the decision we need to get him, we need to fix up our spare bedroom mm -hmm. and get him furniture because right. he's going to be with us maybe a while. 
Well, we went out and spent a large amount of money, way more than we needed to. And when we got home after buying it all, we haven't, you know, wasn't, wasn't going to be delivered maybe until three or four days later. Morgan, you may have felt this way too. I did. Yes. We both just felt kind of sick to our stomach because it was an impulse purchase, a large impulse purchase. <laughs> and, you know, we're thinking the best, okay, we need to help take care of my dad. He's sick. Right. And so we really, you know, had noble intentions and I knew it was an impulse purchase. It wasn't something we'd planned on, but it was such a large purchase and expense that we later canceled the order, which was very humbling because we knew the sales guy. <laughs> yeah, we felt uh, so bad. I felt horrible, but we did the right thing. And we needed to heed that gut feeling. That was that was the real thing. Yeah, and you're exactly right. We yeah. needed to listen to that mm-hmm. because we were making a wrong decision, a wrong choice. But had we both kept it inside and didn't talk about it or just you know ignored it, then we would have both been worse off. We, mm-hmm. we would have... It would have been a bad, bad decision. Yeah, and and let me tell you, I was th- I was thinking my dad was going to stay with us for a few weeks. He ended up staying with us one night, <laughs> and so yeah, it pays to pay attention to our primary emotion. Definitely, definitely. What I love about this is by knowing and understanding and and you know realizing what is primary emotion, what is the secondary emotion, being able to recognize that in ourselves and in our spouse as well will help us to break out of this. Even just recognizing or understanding or knowing the differences between mm-hmm. the two. Oh, you're irritable. Well, I kind of know, you know, there's got to be something under there. Yeah, there's got to be more. Yeah. And sometimes we need to say, okay, there's more here. Right. You know, they, this sometimes we just can't take it at face value. Right. And we're going to keep talking about this because yeah. this is very important. And it helps us to be empathetic with our spouse, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps us to, to okay, I, I know there's got to be something under there, so I'll just wait patiently mm-hmm. while you work it out. And if you want to work it out with me, let, let's do that. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm open, and, and you're, you're welcome to share as you're ready. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, we'll keep talking about this. Thank you for listening today. Yes. Have a wonderful week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Healing Broken Trust. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at healingbrokentrust.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to healingbrokentrust.com forward slash retreat for details on an upcoming one-on-one retreat with me. If you like us, please subscribe and leave a review for us on iTunes. As always, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Morgan's opinion and is not to be taken as relationship advice because I'm not your therapist, nor have I considered your personal situation as your therapist. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. See you until next time.